Welcome to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Nicholas Harbison. Nick has a PhD in biochemistry from Weill Cornell Medical College and teaches science in the upper school at St. Anne's in Brooklyn. He's been a member of New York City Choral Groups for over 12 years and is currently a member of Essential Voices USA. We're going to talk today about the lesser known musicals of Aaron's and Flaherty. Hi Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you Shoshana, I'm so excited to be here. So we are going to get started with our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical? My mom was such a huge fan of like all of the old school movie musicals and we had them all taped off TV on VHS tapes. The Sound of Music and her favorite was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and so like I can probably tell you how every scene of both of those movies go because I feel like I've seen them a hundred times. The first show I saw in a theater was the touring company of Phantom of the Opera at the Fox Theater in St. Louis. Um, and that was when I was in high school, uh, I think towards the end of high school. Um, we just, we never really went to, to see theater when we were, when I was growing up. And then um, I like begged and begged and I was like, I want to go see a show. And that was like, you know, the classic show. So we went, I went with, um, with my mom and my aunt, I think if I remember right. It was just so magical to see in person, finally, like a show and like the chandelier coming down and everything. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I all the way appreciated it at the time, but I was in love. Right? I just knew like this was something that I'm going to be passionate about for, for a long time. What is the last great musical you saw? The recent revival of Sunday in the Park with, in, with George that had Jake Gyllenhaal and Ali Ashford. I mm-hmm. just was simply blown away the powerful emotion that they both brought to that show and it's one of my favorite shows anyway and I think it was just so spectacular and I'm very excited for all the people in England that will get to see it when oh, it goes yeah, there. It was like, just I might just have to go take a trip, you yeah, know, see it, it again. It just announced it'll be playing yeah. in, uh, in London. I feel like with your favorite shows like it's always a gamble like when yeah, you go totally. see another production of it if you have like a very specific production or memory of of it in your head but um this that production definitely fulfilled uh yeah it was was so great what older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it so i i'm gonna give two answers because i saw them i think maybe like two weeks apart and that was the current revivals of kiss me kate in oklahoma both shows i had was familiar with but had never seen a production of. Mm-hmm. And they are obviously very different. Um, Kiss Me Kate was exactly what you thought it would be, and at least for me it was. And it was just a fun time in the theater with amazing dancing and like superb singing. And then you went to see Oklahoma, which was just like, blow your mind like it was just so not what you expected mm-hmm. um, and I think in a good way obviously but um, it, it really I think opened my mind a little bit more than I than I 
had ever thought it could be to what Rogers and Emerson shows were really about. Because mm-hmm. you know that they have these, they're dealing with these topics in their shows, like South Pacific and the racism and, and the King and I with the slavery and all this kind of thing. And you, you know that they have these things underlying their shows, but you were so used to the movie versions of these, mm-hmm. especially people like, you know, who like our age who not have seen the original productions, but uh, you have this, you're in your mind, this is how the show is. And it's this fun, rosy, happy thing. And then you go and see someone's reinterpretation of the material in a way that just changes what you think about it. And, and that I think is uh, like an, an amazing experience to have in the theater. Um, to just see a show in a completely different way than you thought you ever would. It's kind of like two ways of looking at the past. One is to look at it like as it was, as, as we you know feel it was without any bringing our, like bringing today into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and then there's a one way of looking at the past where it's like, no, like, let's go deeper. Let's, let's explore it through now that we know, what we know now, you know. Let's bring that into it. Yeah, for sure. exactly. What moves you the most in a musical theater piece? When there, you can tell there's a particular amount of joy mm-hmm. in a show. Um, and I will use the example of Come From Away, mm-hmm. because I cannot even listen to the score of that show without like pretty much crying. Because even after seeing it, there was just so much joy that everyone involved in that show had to bring this story and like you know whether or not it was going to be a hit they didn't care they knew that it was an important story and they just had so much into it and you uh, me as an audience member I feel like other people do that's why the show is so successful like really felt that and that's what is able to sort of translate without going into a lot of the specifics about what the story is about right they they don't go into a lot of like, let's talk about all these people who died. It's let's talk about these people that are here supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, I feel like as a whole creative like ensemble, they all supported each other. Who is your favorite hero character in a musical? If I look at like what are my favorite shows, mm-hmm. like my, my top three shows, out of those, if I was going to pick one, my favorite... I would say main character, I don't know if I would use the word hero, but um, would probably be Dot <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of the park with George, just because I just love the, like, what, what he is given to that character to do, like that she is who she is and how she is such a strong person and, you know, makes difficult decisions and there's a lot of complexities that I think people can sort of overlook in, yeah. the, in the character and and I really appreciate that yeah I'm just thinking now like I never really thought much of this moment before in the show but I'm thinking now of just like that moment when she gets so fed up that she just leaves like yeah. that, that that when she leaves him it's just such like a really strong moment she has an, an incredible amount of, of inner strength to leave someone that she loves Right and as and go off on her own when she ostensibly, although we don't really necessarily know that much of the backstory, but has nothing. Right, mm-hmm. like she is saying, I am going to take control of my own life, and I'm not going to be beholden to this person's whims anymore. 
And do you have a favorite villain character or antagonist in musicals? Yeah, I would say <laughs> uh, thematically with what we're going to talk about today of uh, being Flaherty and Aaron's shows, um, one of my favorite sort of quote-unquote villain characters is Papa Gay in Once on this Island. Mm. I just think it's such a clever foil in the show. Um, and I, the, the, it's, I, I'm not going to say it's an overly developed character, but it is it's done so well like to be that sort of part of the story that says this is what the bottom line is and I'm the one that's going to decide this for you Mm -hmm. and make you sort of go on this path that you're going to go on on that note let's go to our uh topic which is what we're calling the lesser known Aaron's and Flaherty shows everybody um you know, thinks of Ragtime and Once on this Island, uh, maybe Seussical when, you know, we mention Aaron's and Flaherty, Anastasia, you know, now also. Uh, but they have a huge body of work that includes a lot of musicals people either haven't even heard of or they've heard of but don't really know very well, um, haven't seen because they're rarely done. Two of my top three shows happen to be Flaherty Aaron shows. One is Ragtime and another is A Man of No Importance. And I just, my first experience with them was Ragtime, as I feel like most people's probably was. Um, and it was specifically hearing Wheels of a Dream. And that was my first introduction to Audrey McDonald, my first introduction to Brian Stokes Mitchell. And it just sort of cemented this love of theater that was like developing in me in college. On previous episodes, a lot of people bring up Ragtime um, as just a very influential show for them. It's such a, a huge show in like the musical theater canon, uh, dealing with like huge epic subject matter, historical, um, racial, and Once on This Island is a huge show for people. It has the both of those shows have like a huge reach. I don't know if any other like current or you know musical theater writer or writers that have such a that kind of dichotomy in like the shows that uh they have such popular well-known shows and then like a bag of other (laughs) other shows that are are what we're calling these lesser known and it's not even like they're smaller like some of them are um kind of large cast shows that um for whatever reason, just hold like a, a lesser known status. And I, it's just interesting for these writers that are so well known, like how does that happen? Susical Ragtime Ones in This Island are very early on in their you know, careers. And then they had this sort of string of these, uh, I mean, I, think, I feel like most of these were, were after those um, shows. And then they just sort of took a break for a while and then they did Rocky um, which was a big thing and very popular in Europe, um, not as much here, uh, and then moved into Anastasia. And I think as people, as they're having these bigger hits again, I think people are going to go and revisit some of these um, mm-hmm. smaller shows. Musically, they're so different. And I wonder if that contributes to 
like people like they know Ragtime and they know Once on This Island, so they're looking for other shows by them that that sound kind of have the have a similar mm-hmm. sound, let alone subject matter, but just musically. And you've got a whole range of sounds uh, in these shows. Yeah, I think uh, you know. I think we can sort of introduce the names of the shows so we can refer back to them. Yeah. Uh, the, their first show was Lucky Stiff, and this um, uh, was in 1988. It was an off-Broadway show, and it's very much a farce. Like, the storyline is based off of a book, and the whole show is sort of like this comedy of errors, if you will. Someone who was having an affair, and then, you know, the person, they thought they killed that person, and then, <laughs> oh, it turns out that person's not dead. Ah. Just, uh, spoiler uh, alert. Uh, you crazy... Know. It's just this zany, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a zany farce. And it's the music to it and, and the lyric writing is very comedic. It's very solid musical comedy. You know, it's not, there's no big like ballady numbers in it whatsoever. And I think after that, they did Once on this Island. And they sort of still took that, but they changed the, the inflections of the music and, and inserted a couple more of these like, you know, sort of ballady numbers, if you will call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other shows then are my favorite year, which was out of other shows we're talking about, or it's the only one that was on Broadway um, in 1992. Uh, a Man of No Importance in 2002, Dessa Rose in 2005, and The Glorious Ones in 2007. All the last four of those all were at Lincoln Center. Um, and I think that musically speaking, they are. You started with this farce, you know, comedic, really comedic um, show in Lucky Stiff. You moved into My Favorite Year, which is still very comedic. It's it's a little bit more slapstick-ish, I think, than, than is Lucky Stiff. The setting is a variety show, kind of like Sid Caesar's Your Show shows. I mean, the movie I, was very popular. It was an, an eight, it, the movie was made in the 80s, right. but set in the 50s. Um, and uh, you know, I grew up watching the movie and then listening to the the music. It's very much in that kind of like fun, like comedic, zany style. But I think it also has like those heartwarming numbers too, which yeah. maybe Lucky Stiff didn't. Yeah, it definitely have they as they, much. they started to bring in. I think after Once on This Island, that those sort of really sort of character development songs. Like here is my number where I'm gonna sort of tell you more about why I'm do, doing what I'm doing in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely brought that into my favorite year, specifically with the character of Alan Swan, um, but not so not as much with the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they keep doing that and adding in more of that as they sort of develop as a team. Um, and then later when you get into the other shows which are all in a shorter time frame to close together um a man of no importance musically is very much appropriate for the setting and i think that's one thing stephen uh, flaherty does really well um is show this really drastic range of musical styles like he you know you you don't necessarily if you just put on the recording to this show, you wouldn't know that it was Stephen Flaherty and Lanerans. You know, they don't have that sort of distinct sound that you can maybe pick out from like, you know, a, uh, a Schoenberg-Bubliels 
score. You know, mm-hmm. you, oh, you know, I know who wrote that. You know, kind right. of thing. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the reasons that they're such a good team together. Um, so a man of importance is this very like it's set in Ireland. It's a very Irish score musically, and um, <clears throat> I think you know. Lynn Ahrens also wrote most of the books for the shows, and I think that she really does a seamless job, especially when she's writing the book, but even when she didn't write the book, of working the lyrics in with the style so that you don't ever feel like this song doesn't belong in this show. Um, and then the other two shows are, are a little bit more serious of shows. I think Dessa Rose is really a dramatic opera in a sense um it's about uh two women in the antebellum south one is uh, a slave who has been arrested for uh murdering her owner uh, essentially and um sort of the other one is a white woman who owns a plantation whose husband just sort of leaves her and it's sort of how these two women come together um and it's the score really harkens back to ragtime probably more than any of their other work does it's very based in spiritual and this sort of southern almost dixie-like music in certain cases um and it's just again very beautiful uh, musically with beautiful poetic words put with it and I think you know that's probably out of all of these um, the most underappreciated in my opinion Um, and then the glorious ones which is really it's a it's a show about acting it's about a group of actors in the 1500s in Italy and there's all these like twists of oh I love this person and and this person's in love with me and then I'm gonna do this and that and it's all trying to be like what is what is it that we're leaving here like what is how do we get to what we can leave so that people remember us Um, and it's again is sort of go more similar to some of the earlier shows there are some more comedic moments in it more from the lyrics i think than the music but they really honed in on the dramatic moments and really balanced it well um, throughout the show where you have like you don't lose sight of the fact that this acting troupe is really putting on these like comedic dell'arte like sort of slightly zany very dirty uh, you know, plays while at the same time you step back from that and you are seeing the story of the actors and how what their relationships are with each other on the more dramatic side of things. Going through those, it's like kind of crazy to think about how just musically different they are and I mean there's some that go together as you said like Dessa Rose is very similar to Ragtime. I feel like the sounds of Lucky Stiff and My Favorite Year are very similar um and uh, although I guess a man of no importance kind of stands on it <laughs> on yeah, its man, own as a different yeah thing. I think the the dramatic underlying sensibilities of a man of no importance and the glorious ones are very similar mm-hmm. but musically they are very different based on the setting and, yeah and I think that's really again speaks to the quality of the music writing yeah I want to talk about 
Desarose first. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I did see that show uh, way back in 2005. I just keep going back to the same... um, the same song from that show, which is 12 Children. I remember, it's like one of the, all these years later, it's like the song I remember most from seeing it, you know, in the theater. And it's the song that I just want to listen to first. With good reason. I think that it's such a, (laughs) it's probably one of the more well-known songs from that show. Um, It is, I think, also probably the song that is taken out of the show most often. Dessa Rose sings this to her baby um, after Ruth, who is the white woman, uh, wants to give the baby a name. And she basically says, I will not let a white person give my baby a name. Um, My baby won't have a name until we're free. And it's such a powerful moment in the show. Um, Musically, it just, it, it gets you. You know, she goes through the history of the family and she said, sings the names of all she was, uh, it's sort of about how she got her name and she sings the name of her 11 brothers and sisters. She was the 12th child. That's why it's called 12 children. Um, And she goes through and also in so doing tells you what happened to her brothers and sisters. It really gives me such a feeling of that time period more than like, any other um, kind of theatrical or storytelling device or historical device, like just that song, that song, the lyrics with the music, I'm and hearing what happened to all the children or just something about all the right. children, like I'm there. Lynn Aarons wrote the lyrics, you know, to be very sort of here's what happened. They're a bit more matter of fact, but they're presented musically then with such like stirring emotion Mm -hmm. through the melody that that, uh, Flaherty wrote for it. And it it is very much based in spiritual without itself being a spiritual. It's not really what we would consider a spiritual. Everything about that song is just like, one, like historically you're there, Two, it's very emotional because of what you mentioned. And there's that one part of it where she's listing the, mm-hmm. or, and counting off the, the uh, names. Right. And it, the, the way it's, it's, the music there is just so, it's, it feels like a list. You know, she's gone through and sort of told you over a longer period of time, it's, here's this, per, this name of, of this person and this person and this is what happened to them and mm-hmm. she goes through the whole list and then at the end when she just gets to that part where she's just and here's their names again I think what it is is the fact that it's repeated she repeats the the whole sequence before she gets to the part where she's like really focuses on her and and this is my name and this you like telling her baby you will get your name eventually in, in a sense and I think it it's just such a powerful moment because I think it's something that um, it's not necessarily overly well known, right? Mm-hmm. That this aspect of slavery where, you know, all of the names that she listed off save for her, the names were given by the slave owners and not the parent, not the mother right. of the child. And 
I think it's, you know, it's her showing you how strong of a person as a character she is to say, you know, I'm not going to let this happen to me. Right. In in it's sort of allegory for everything that's been happening to her. I'm not going to let myself be uh, hung. You know, I'm not going to let myself get caught and enslaved again. And I'm not, you know, yeah. she's showing you how strong she is. Like I'm looking yeah, like I'm going to be the one to give you the name. Jira he won, Mammy told me so. Maybe he's living, never will know. But Jira give her hope. Caesar died at the end of a She lost little Jeffrey to the sting of a bee. They sold Carrie May. Her last was me. I'm the only baby whose name she chose. Dessa, for descendant of a woman named And I think now that I'm thinking again about the list, it's like also like a continuation, a line continuation, which is like a lot of songs about mothers and children Mm -hmm. continuing the line. But just that whole like this, this name, this name, this name, it it feels like this line. Mm -hmm. And she's she is going to make sure that she's going to continue that line with with this uh, child. The opening number, which is then repeated at the end, which is called We Are Descended, Mm -hmm. is such a powerful statement. Um, You know, it's a show about women. They basically are like, we are strong women. You know, we are in charge of our own story, right? Because the women are the ones who are telling this story. Um, And yes, there are male characters in the show and they are play important roles but they're not 
what the story is about. And it foreshadows 12 children, as we were saying. The lyric is, the lyric is we are descended from a long, strong line of women. And then going to 12 children, just the, the whole idea of this long line, even though those children didn't survive, they're still part of right. this long line. saying that um, there are some uh, productions of this show that are done in, as opera. Right, yeah. I think even um, I read in, or maybe it was on a video interview uh, clip that, that they had done with uh, Flaherty and Irwin's, and even Stephen Flaherty said that this really was the closest they've ever gotten to an opera um, as, a, as a team together. And I think that it's very very true. I mean, there are, there is dialogue, but even, the dialogue is even worked into the cast recording, uh, majority of it. So ma the song show is really more sung through. And I think that interpreting it as an opera, as opposed to necessarily a piece of musical theater can do the show a little bit more justice. I mean, I would love to see it as an opera. Uh, or at least just um, on, I don't know, maybe on a larger scale than how I saw it in the off-Broadway space at Lincoln Center. This show in particular, out of all of their sort of lesser-known shows, has really beautiful choral music in it. And, you know, if you had a larger group that could be presenting that, I think that it can be even more powerful. My other favorite song is called White Milk and Red Blood, and it's it's sung as a flashback, and it's Ruth, who's the white woman, was raised by an African-American maid, and her maid is the char uh, character that's singing this as, as a sort of spirit in the ether. And um, it's just, it's the moment where the two women sort of realize that they're not that different from each other, right? Mm -hmm. So they are, they've, they've met, they are involved in each other's lives at this point, Dessa Rose and Ruth, and they are just opposed to each other, right? Naturally opposed to each other. And it involves a scene where uh, Ruth has to breastfeed Dessa Rose's baby that she just had because she's physically not able to do it. And the moment the, the song is saying is, is basically like, you know, milk is white, blood is red, and we're all the same. I feel like I would want to talk about A Man of No Importance, yeah. which I know um, this, is, this is one of my three favorite or top three shows. Um, and again, I don't... I, I'm not necessarily able to say completely why. Mm -hmm. It's just a show that I connect with on on a different level, and I think it's the the story of this man who the the main character. So this is based on a movie. Um, it's set in in Ireland in the '60s, and the main character is a man who is he is a bus operator, which is the person who tells you what stop you're at, and he is someone who is gay and, and trying to 
figure it out. Not that figure out that he is gay, but sort of ex- come to an acceptance because he can't accept himself. And so what he does is really like, he has this sort of obsession with Oscar Wilde and putting on plays. And that's sort of his outlet for sort of his homosexuality. And I think that, I don't know, I just don't know why I connect so well to this show. I I just find it really, really beautifully done. Um, Musically, it's, it's, all very Irish inflected music and um, sort of grew up with with that being from a mostly Irish family and so it just seems natural for me um, and it's just got some beautiful songs that um, really speak to the development of the character and, and when the characters are singing these particular songs um, you just, it, they're so well written that you just instantly feel that character. The two songs that, that I would highlight, um, the one that more people will probably know is uh, Love Who You Love, which Alfie sings to uh, another character when he like, so she's sort of run away from her problems and he is basically saying it doesn't matter. Um, you know, you just the lyric is literally you, you just have to love who you love. And he hasn't yet come to terms with his own self. And I think that hearing him sing that song is just so powerful because you understand that the song really is about him, even though he doesn't yet. How could I dare someone like me who's been mainly nowhere but in my experience be as it may you just have to love who you love you just have to love who you love and later there's a reprise that she sings to him and it comes full circle for him. It's not a big number. It's not, there's nothing ostentatious in the show, period, really. And I think it's just, it's a quiet show. Loving, no call for shame. Everyone's heart does exactly the same. And once you believe that, I love who I love, who I love. I'm sorry about your play. I'm sorry I couldn't be your princess alone. And I think that's one of the other reasons that you can connect more easily into these characters is there are these moments, like there's a, a moment where they're putting in rehearsals for the play that they're doing and you sort of have all the characters on stage and they're all doing these different parts and telling you about what they are doing in this city and their, what their life is and these kinds of things. But aside from that, the show is really centered on these smaller characters. The other song from, from that show that I think is really great um, is called Princess. It's sung by the character of Adele and she is the woman who's sort of run away 
uh, from this town. And this song is about Alfie, it, uh, as the bus operator, she just stumbled onto his bus and he was looking for someone to cast in the lead of this play that he's putting on. And he sees her and is instantly like, she's it. And she's like, no, I'm not. And the song is like, in her response to him being like, I, you are perfect for this. You, are, you should be in this play, you know, open yourself into this world. And she's like, I, in, during the song, she's like, I come from this small town where the only fun activity is to watch a fly on dog poop. Um, <laughs> those aren't roughly what the lyrics are without saying bad words. And, um, you know, now she's in Dublin and she's sort of overwhelmed and he's like, you know, basically telling her, it doesn't matter. You have this inside of you and you can unlock it and be someone who you aren't now that you are not, you know, you are somewhere else now. No one here knows you. You can be who you want to be. And again, I think that speaks to the whole overarching theme of the show. And he, he really is setting himself up by telling all these other people, live your life, be something that you didn't think you could be. And, and eventually he realizes he should just take his own advice. Well, possibly Ross Carmen was wrong. It can be beautiful out there, playing a part. Losing yourself in another person. Just for once, Miss Rice, being somebody new. I'm throwing myself at your feet, Your Royal Highness. I don't suppose I'll ever have another chance to play a princess. And here in Dublin, it appears that the prevailing minds are not quite so small I swore I wouldn't spend my life back in Roscommon I'd be someone going someplace they would never dream of The only dreamer that Roscommon will be able to Roscommon raised a princess after all. My friends, our princess, Salome. Going through all this, the shows and the songs that really speak to us, what um, Aaron's and Flaherty do so well is pack so much meaning and character character meaning into their songs that um, and that's why the songs their songs stand out so much and I think and stand out more than say like the songs in Lucky Stiff where it's just like farcical and kind of just you know moving that little plot along in a very skillful way. Right. But uh, those songs don't grab you as as much as some of the songs in these 
these other shows that we've talked about. I mean, even in like My Favorite Year, which has a lot of the same like zippy style of Lucky Stiff, you've got the song, If the World Were Like the Movies, and all of a sudden it slows down and you are with that zany kind of ridiculous character for a moment and you feel and you get his character and you feel for him right yeah it's a song that he's singing basically saying sort of lamenting his life like in a way that he you know there's this plot that is in the movie to somewhat of a lesser extent than it is dealt with in the show where he is basically like absent from his daughter's life Mm -hmm. and this song that they put into the show is sort of him saying you know if if things were like they were in the movies you know I could have been a better father to you like if you saw me this way that I wasn't when I did this movie he's an actor and he's he was in all these movies and that's part of the reason why he wasn't there and he's sort of like you know imagining what it was like if if those movies that he was in were were real life and how he, you know, how things could be different with his daughter, you know, if she, like, had that father that was these characters from these films, right? And it, it is sort of this moment in the show that you don't necessarily expect to come because the show is really sort of more upbeat. It's fun. It's got, you know, these amazing comedic actors and actresses. Um, it's got Lainey Kazan and Andrea Martin who won a Tony for it. And it's just, you know, this fireball of fun and then you have this moment and then it kind of goes sort of stays with that moment for the second act and this is the end of the first act and it, and it sort of stays on that sort of more mellow note with a little bit of that thrown in and I think you know that was one of the things with that particular show why it's not necessarily like a bigger show as well as it just sort of to what some critics would have said died off in the second act. Um, and I, and it, it's not because the show is not well written, it's not because you don't connect with these characters, but I think it, they were still at that point figuring out how to weave that all together that I think really they did so well in the, in the later of these lesser known shows. I'm probably the least familiar Fun. with The Glorious Ones. Mm-hmm. It, it's a beautiful show, um, you know, this, was again an off-Broadway at Lincoln Center. It starred Mark Kudish, and it's beautifully put together and sung. And it's definitely, it's more along the lines of a man of no importance in terms of how how you can connect with the characters through their songs. And there's, there's a particular song um, in the second act that uh, is called I Was Here that the sort of main character or sort of lead of this acting troupe sings and it's all about it's kind of like it reminds me of Sunday in the Park with George because the song is about sort of how do I figure out or how do I leave my legacy what is my legacy going to be you know um, what is my what is what am I worth in this world you know and it's it's that sort of sentiment that that allows you to be like, oh, I can kind of understand where this character is coming from. What am I going to leave as my legacy in this world? You know, who, who, am, what am I doing? And it's again, it, the lyrics 
just go so well with the music to really get inside your mind and really connect you into that show and that character at that moment. And, you know, then seeing what happens after that, you sort of put, it puts a different perspective on the song than if you just took that song out of the show. Um, and, and I think that with the understanding of, of what further happens in the plot without spoiling anything, um, you know, it, 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 in retrospect, makes you connect to it in an, in an even different way. Another thing we wanted to talk about with these shows with, and with uh, these writers in general was the, like the un- how they use ensemble in each of the shows and kind of like a Greek chorus as well. Right, this is something that they have done, I mean, that started with Lucky Stiff, with their first show, and they just have stuck with it in literally every one of their shows. It's either the first or second number in every show is sort of this, you know, people equate it to the Greek chorus style, where it's like the entire cast is there, and they're essentially individually telling you who they are and what they're doing, and why they're in this show. Um, You know, it's gone in a lot of different directions. The, in Lucky Stiff, it was a very short, it was like a minute and a half, quick little number where they just all come out and they're like, I'm this person, I'm this person, I'm this person, oop, I'm dead, right? <laughs> and um, my favorite year was a little bit more drawn out. Um, a Man of No Importance, very drawn out, but in a, in a way that is really effective. I think that the opening number in that show is somewhere along seven or eight minutes, but it's really well done where you can see all of the characters, who they are, and it really does a good job of in that short amount of time setting the stage for the rest of the show, like really helping you understand where are we set, what's going on. Um, You know, Desiree, like we talked about We Are Descended, is setting up this show in a different way that in a matter of no importance they're really saying here's the scene and in Dessa Rose they're saying here are these characters um, and the glorious ones is along that line as well it's it's sort of a combination of both because you have this acting troupe who are, is introducing themselves but then as like we are the acting troupe but then also introducing themselves as who they are as characters um, and you know it's not obviously unique to Flaherty and Aaron's shows I mean um, you kind of have a similar uh, thing in a way, I think, in the beginning of Hairspray even. Like, mm-hmm. you've got this number, Good Morning Baltimore, where you, she's really setting the scene. It's She's introducing these, like... There's the flasher who lives right, next door. She's introducing these, like, minor characters. There are the rats. Your, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's the same vein. It's... It, it's a, a, style but it's in a different way like I think all of the shows that Flair and Aaron's do really are focused on introducing you to the characters uh, and, and every character and a lot of times they're seeing about themselves and sometimes um, they are like the ensemble members of the show will sort of be doing the the number and introducing the, the characters are will be coming out kind of like they do in Ragtime. Right. The opening number of Ragtime, you've got, you know, the affluent white people and you've got the the African American people and you've got the immigrant people and they all like have their own section of that song where they introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. 
without fully introducing themselves. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Like, right. it's just this way of like really drawing you in so that you have just enough information about who these characters yeah. are to want to know more. Well, and I feel like that opening number in particular is not so much about who these characters are, although they do introduce themselves. It's more about we have three groups. <laughs> right, yeah, it is. <laughs> who, are, uh, who are in orbit of each other. Um, we're going to see what happens when they collide. Like I said, it's not an uncommon conceit right. in theater to, to have this kind of number. I just feel like that they do it very well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And they do it very consistently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even even among a body of work with shows that are so different in so many ways. Speaking of opening numbers, should we move on to yes. our why is this a good section where we're going to talk about uh, the song We Dance from Once on this Island keeping in theme. Um, so I first just want to start with why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? Yeah, I think out of all of their shows, Once on This Island, We Dance is my favorite of the opening numbers. Um, it just has every aspect of what you want in that number that, you know, it starts off like, here's our story, right? Like, yeah, it's so much about they're, storytelling. They're, they're telling you the story then you know they're going into like here are the characters in that are going to be mm -hmm. in the story um and then i think just think it it sort of does what what they did later in ragtime in a slightly more connected way where in ragtime they have you have the three different groups right and here you've got two different groups right you have the peasants and you have the grand dome and they sort of integrate the music there's yeah. musical styles into this one number. Well, you also have the gods, which I guess would be a, diff uh, a third group. Right. And it's also just fun, right? Yeah. It's, it's, up, it's upbeat. It's a dance. Right. I mean, it, it, it's called We Dance, and it makes you want to get up and dance. Like, yeah. you are connected to these, uh, you know, people in this show, you know, right away. And, and when you just listen to it, you don't even necessarily hear all of the cast doubling that's going on mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of it in the show and i think that what what do you mean by cast doubling well it's just you know the the storytellers as they're called in the in the um in the show are then the characters that mm -hmm. you will see for the rest of the show if right. that makes sense so it's it was something that I honestly also didn't even fully realize until I saw the show. And when we, even even when I, I don't know that I connected it when we did the show in, in college. I feel like that's something that's very dependent on the direction, just making that clear. Right. And I think that, that when I saw the, re the recent revival, which was fantastic, yeah. um, I... I just saw this this number in a completely different way than I had thought of it before. Yeah, I thought it was um, very clear. Yeah, and in the in the recent revival on Broadway, you really are seeing these people telling the story, which then they are acting out. Right, they're assuming these roles. There is an island where rivers run deep, where the sea, sparkling in the sun, earns it the name Jewel of the Antilles. An island where the poorest of and the wealthiest of Grand Dome Plains. 
two different worlds on one island. The Grand Ole, with their pale brown skins and their French wings, owners of the land and masters of their own fate. And the peasants, black as night, eternally at the mercy of the wind and the sea, who pray constantly to the gods. Asaka Romi e Garden. Please, don't flood my garden. Ezuli, who will my love be? Papa don't come around me. At the end, like, sort of right before the, the end of the song, it's like it lays out what the whole point of the show is mm-hmm. right it's two different worlds never meant to meet right and that's the whole conceit of the show right and obviously it gets more complicated than that but it's because they know, meet it's, <laughs> <laughs> right, because they do meet and then it's like oh my God, what happens um but yeah it's just i don't know i just see it's just such a great um use of that conceit of like here are all the characters and we're going to introduce ourselves and tell you what aspects of this story we're going to be involved in. You know, it starts off with this sort of, like, ambient mm-hmm. sound while they're sort of just speaking, you know, yeah. the, the s- sort of basic story outline, right? And then it starts into the singing when the gods are introduced mm-hmm. or they're introducing you who the what the gods are responsible for, right? Right, Asaka, grow me a garden. She's Mother Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Agwe, the god of water, don't flood my garden, right? Yeah. And it's just, you know, you're connecting into these people by understanding what their environment is like, what their society right. or culture is sort of based in, right? They have this intense connection to the land and and the, the resources that are there. Right. And then they're like, and we are dancing because we have this music in us we yeah. have the, the music of the gods we have the breezes through the green plantain it's just it really is like immersing you in in the fact that they are having so much joy yeah. in their life even though as it tells you in the song these are you know poor peasant people who mm-hmm. effectively have nothing when you look at the other side of the island and there's you know, rich people with a Mercedes. And then they get to, suddenly, it just goes back to this sort of spoken bit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, here we have had just this joyous celebration. And then it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's other people here, too. And these people, and even says, it, I mean, it's so well done in the lyrics, right? These people dance to a different tune, and suddenly the music changes, mm-hmm. right? And it's this sort of, like, it's a little bit harsher. It gets them into that mixing of the two. They drink champagne, entertain tourists at their fine hotels, and tell their servants, polish up the Mercedes. Two different worlds, never meant to meet. The peasants labor. The grand eat. And then suddenly you get back to the, the sort of yeah, peasant the, dancers, and they're like, and we dance. 
right? Yeah. And well, like, then you get the while we are dancing just to stay alive. Right. That that's that's kind of the context of that line. Um, that you know, we're the have-nots. It's all just about survival for us. Right, and but all in the context of dancing. Right, and then they say we dance. What else is there to do? This right. is this is our livelihood. You need to sort of care about both of them. Yeah. Even though you you don't want to like one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and these two different groups of people who have a different relationship to dance. Right, and then how it ends with that two different worlds never meant to meet, but if the gods move our feet, we all dance. Yeah. Right. That doesn't say we all dance, just we dance, but. Um, the the sentiment is there. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not these rich people believe in these same gods, we as the people telling this story know that these gods are there. Mm-hmm. And everyone dances. In the end, everyone dances. Yeah. Right? And it's it's like it's like how it, the sentiment in Dessa Rose that we are all just people, mm-hmm. right? We all have white milk and red blood mm-hmm. in that sense. Same, there's that same underlying sentiment. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a theme in a lot of their work could just be, we're all just people. We dance to their water. Finish up with what, uh, with something wonderful. What we are excited about coming up. What we want to give a shout out to. Uh, yeah. So I have two things that I'm uh, excited about. Encore's announced that they're going to do Mac and Mabel, mm-hmm. which just makes my heart happy because <laughs> I have such a fondness for that show. It was the first show I ever saw in London um, on a trip over there and. I just, I just love that show, so I'm excited about that. And the other thing is that um, this summer, while I'm on vacation, going to Chicago, and I am very excited that we are going to see the musical Six. Oh, I've heard uh, a lot about that. Yeah. Oh my god, it looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> I have like watched the YouTube clip of their performance from the Olivier Awards multiple times. What? So what? What is Six exactly? So Six is the it's. It's a British musical about, it, it's like they took the six wives of Henry VIII, Henry VIII, and they made them the Spice Girls. <laughs> so it's like this girl group. It's gotten rave reviews in, in England. I'm very excited to see it. It looks like such a fun time. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Scene to Song is going on a summer hiatus and will return September 9th. In that time, you can still write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Please keep following on Instagram at scene to song, on Twitter at scene song, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. Have a wonderful summer, and be sure to check back here on September 9th for our next episode.